Welcome back to the Dr. Body Mind Soul podcast. My name is Dr. Jude, and this is a podcast which explores how we can integrate modern medicine and alternative therapies to help you get the holistic health care that you deserve. I will be speaking to healers and seekers, researchers and authors who will share their experiences and the evidence to help guide us all to holistic health. Let's do this. Dr. Liam Latouche is a naturopathic doctor who works with individuals who experience conditions that have been difficult to diagnose and treat in conventional settings. He has a particular interest in chronic fatigue and fibromyalgia and uses a unique assessment process and an eclectic treatment approach, drawing on mindfulness-based stress reduction, applied kinesiology, neural therapy, bioregulatory medicine, homotoxicology, Reiki, frequency-specific microcurrent, low-dose allergen therapy, and more. So many options, Dr. Liam, some of which I've heard of and some of which I have to admit I haven't. But firstly, welcome. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, well, Liam, you might find it difficult to wrap your head around, but you are a a naturopathic doctor in Canada, but we actually don't have naturopathic doctors here in the UK. So I thought we should start by sharing a little bit about the naturopathic doctor approach more broadly and how the medical system interacts with that um, approach over there in Canada. Can you sort of outline how that all works over the pond? Yeah, absolutely. And I would say within Canada, there are going to be varying regulations from province to province and south of the border in the states, same thing, state to state, there will be unlicensed states, there will be regulated states, and our scope of practice can vary. But in a nutshell, kind of a big picture, naturopathic doctors are trained as primary care providers. And so we're we're able to support patients with respect to those primary care needs. Um, there are, we don't have fellowships where we would then, you know, uh, be focused in a specialized setting or, or provide care in a specialized setting, uh, uh, an ear, nose, throat doc, a surgeon, et cetera. But each of us does tend to lean and, and drift into our own kind of area of clinical focus, we can call it. Um, the main difference, though, is uh, with respect to an naturopathic doc and a conventionally trained medical doctor is we focus on identifying and addressing the underlying root cause of the illness. And that's not you know exclusive to naturopathic medicine, but that is a very prominent key focus. We work on treating the individual, not the illness. And so we're really focused on, on integrating individualized care strategies. We focus on diet and lifestyle. So based on where you are, um, we have prescribing rights in, in most of our regulated states and provinces. In Ontario, very limited. So you know, drug therapy is not going to be a part of my practice where my colleagues out west in British Columbia, they might utilize that more just because it's within their scope. But at the end of the day, diet and lifestyle. And our toolkit really does um, center around nutraceuticals, right? Using specific nutrients to support the body, using herbal therapy, depending on where you are from a regulation perspective. I'll use acupuncture in my practice. We'll use a lot of health psychology. Um, Manual therapy can be implemented. So uh, modalities that are similar to what you might receive if you were with a physiotherapist or chiropractor. Um, I come from a background of rehab prior to naturopathic medicine. And so that's something I'm comfortable with. Other colleagues may not use that, but there's a huge toolkit 
that we can we can utilize. And I think the biggest thing that I like to share with both colleagues and patients, prospective patients, is it really is about integrative care. You know, it's unfortunate a lot of patients will come in seeking naturopathic care or conventional allopathic care. But at the end of the day, you know, there's an opportunity for a hybrid approach, an integrative approach where the best work can be done. But it really comes down to... Um, complementing, supporting what we would consider to be a, a conventional medical approach with diet and lifestyle and really focused in on what's going on here. Where is physiology broken down and how do we treat the person as a whole in an individualized manner? Mm-hmm. Mm. And that's actually what I learned this weekend. I've just come back from a conference, Dr. Liam, um, the Integrative and Personalized Medical um, Conference, which introduced me to a little bit of the concept of naturopathic medicine. And I think they framed it so well. And I'd love to hear your feedback. But they were sort of really emphasizing the approach of trying to bring the body into a state in which it can repair and heal itself, which I just thought was just such a lovely reframing and definitely differentiates from the medical approach, which is so focused on directly treating pathology. And I think that really does sum it up. And we're looking at that from kind of a two-pronged approach. So we're hoping to identify and eliminate barriers to healing, right? So whether it's behavioral, you know, elements that that are standing in the way of us really being able to integrate these lifestyle strategies and dietary strategies that can be helpful. What if it's a chronic infection or a, you know, a toxicant exposure or some kind of uh, persistent impact on the body following head trauma, but there can be these barriers to healing that are going to be, you know, playing a role in, in your body's ability to attain, maintain some degree of homeostasis and balance and regulation. And, that second prong is really supporting the body's innate ability to heal, right? And this can come in so many different forms, but it's, it's you know, providing optimal nutrition, but within the context of how well is our digestive function working? Are we absorbing those nutrients? Are we utilizing them well? Are we eliminating waste products? Um, you know, and there's just so many, that's just one component, but there are so many factors that we can look at, whether in the world of of kind of true firm biomedical intervention and then all the way to the world of energetics right and there's just so much we can do to stimulate the body's innate ability to heal i think that really does capture it very well Mm, mm. and you're talking about sort of specific root causes and your special interest is in chronic fatigue and fibromyalgia can you sort of talk me through the way you assess the root cause of these illnesses in that you commonly see in your patients is it different in different people and also you know the root cause for these illnesses does tend to be fairly controversial is it viral is it immunological is it um is it mold is it mitochondrial these are all new or new to me i should say theories that underpin what may be at the root cause of this these particular illnesses um from your experience do they fit into those categories and is it a case of you know working through those for each person to see what it is or am i missing something no you're touching on a lot of the key features i would say first and foremost it is it can be quite individual so we might see a catchment fall under a certain umbrella and and it may we may pull from that but it can be so varied from case to case 
And the way I, I try to step back and, and take a wide lens view is first and foremost, we're looking at kind of what are the genetic susceptibilities? So what evidence is there within the family history around autoimmunity or, or neurological presentations or XYZ that might shed metabolic disorders that might shed light on where someone might have a predisposition? And I think we've come you know, far enough in our understanding to appreciate that, you know, your biology is not your destiny. There's this whole amazing world of epigenetics, but at the end of the day, there can be susceptibility or there are susceptibilities. And so, you know, standard medical history taking to try and extrapolate that, and there may be genetic testing that's done. I, I would say that, you know, we, we really don't have, and I'm not a geneticist, but, you know, even in the world of primary care, this kind of level of intervention, there, there are distinct features from a genetic perspective that can be helpful. You may have heard about things like MTHFR defects or methylation defects. Some people have detoxification defects with respect to the glutathione system regulation. I'm one of those people. That's why I can appreciate how that plays out in your life. Um, but the, first and foremost, appreciating the genetic underpinning. Then we're thinking about things that you touched on. What are the... Um, what is the trigger or triggers? What are the triggers that that played into this? So we always look at what happened in and around the time of symptom onset and or diagnosis. Um, often individuals will talk about, I had a nasty bout of mono, mononucleosis, kissing disease. I was bedridden for two weeks, two months, six, most recently six months, a uh, patient last week, and I've never been well since. We call it never well since, right? And that's a big flag that we'll pay attention to dive into, dissect what's going on. So certainly looking at any kind of environmental trigger. So whether it's an infection like mono or a vector or tick-borne illness, um, you know, in the, the world of COVID and pandemic slash post-pandemic life, I think if we were to look for a silver lining, it's really that what individuals have been historically dealing with at least within the medical literature for about 30 years, 30, well, going on 40 years now, but well beyond that, as far as a post-viral illness, now we're seeing research dollars, we're seeing awareness, we're seeing validation. Um, so, you know, that that's certainly something people have been dealing with, but I'm, I'm hopeful that what will come out of this challenging situation we're dealing with is is more awareness, more research, more, more, more uh, targeted interventions, integrative interventions, but in, uh, infectious, Triggers could be a factor. Mold is often a big one that's uh, overlooked in a lot of cases that end up coming to, to, to my practice. Um, and other toxicants, you know, we were speaking briefly prior to, to starting this just about our growing exposure to chemical toxicants, right? And, and you know, now aspartame is being flagged as, you know, a carcinogen and there's going to be some regulatory changes, hopefully. But there are so many things that we're exposed to that we know are not great, but we just don't have the regulatory framework to protect the public. Um, but uh, long and the short of it, we're thinking about various triggers and, and environmental triggers could be one. Stress could be another major one. I think that goes without saying. I think we can all appreciate the role of stress in our lives, but it's it's um humbling to appreciate how it can really shift someone's well-being, right? If they're going through a really nasty separation or divorce, there could have been a bereavement or, you know, death in the family kind of thing, um, or just traumatic, uh, a cumulative traumatic experience that just reached a tipping point. Um, and then the other would be more of a physical trauma, more in the world of what we would, if we were to delineate between fibromyalgia and chronic fatigue syndrome, 
more often than not in the fibromyalgia camp, we'll see the onset of symptoms after a, a physical trauma, a motor vehicle accident, a fall downstairs, sometimes post-surgery, where we see the nervous system, the central nervous system becomes sensitized, hypersensitive after that, that, that incident. Um, so just to pause for a sec, we're thinking about genetic elements. We're thinking about what kind of trigger or triggers, whether it's more of a biochemical thing, a physical thing, or a mental emotional thing or factor. And then there are the modulators. What are the, the things that are happening day in, day out that are aggravating or ameliorating the intensity, frequency, duration of the symptoms? Right. Does someone notice that they eat specific foods and immediately their symptoms blow up? Or um, if they're not sleeping well, that's a major factor and sleep just has not been great. Or, or you know, their their inability to regulate stress in a way that would best serve them is, an, is a modulator of their symptoms. And so we're, we're trying to look at those key categories and then within those camps look at, okay, well, what can we do today to help dial things back on your symptom intensity, enhance your quality of life while we do some deeper investigation? then we may want to engage in some laboratory assessment to start looking for these possible chemical or, or biochemical toxicants or exposures, infections, et cetera. Yeah. So I hope I covered the question, but yeah, there's this kind of a wide lens view we look at from genetics exposures and then modulators. And I'm guessing like as a patient, like through all of these tests, how does that help? me because I think from a conventional medical standpoint um, there's so little that can be offered to our patients that all the testing in the world um, might seem quite futile if we can't do anything about the results so can you talk me through like the treatment approach then of uh, the most common treatment strategies, I guess, that you use, because I mentioned in the introduction, you've got so many tools in your tool belt. Yeah. How how do you go about choosing what to use for each patient? And I'm really curious about your experience with the impact of these treatments on your patients. Absolutely. And so maybe just to circle back to provide some context to, to address your, your question more appropriately. Um you know, where where we fit in, because again, the goal is, is is collaborative, integrative medicine, right? And my medical doctor, at least family doctor counterparts here, unfortunately work within a framework or, or, or function within a framework that doesn't allow them to do the kind of meaningful work that, you know, they would like to do with these patients as well. You know, the, the publicly funded visits are 15 minutes max. They average out at seven, eight minutes. It's one complaint, I mean, these patients are coming in, their intake form doesn't have enough room to list their health complaints, right? Because there are so many. Um, and so the goal is to utilize the conventional side of, of medicine to, to really be able to facilitate appropriate referrals, whether it's to neurology or rheumatology, uh, immunology, to get some of that conventional testing imaging done. What I'm speaking to would be categorized as quote unquote functional testing. These would be tests that wouldn't necessarily run in a conventional setting, or they may, but Patients may just not have immediate access to the, the the specialists that would facilitate some of that testing. But just to to clarify again, where this comes down to an integrative approach, that's really what we're looking at. Um, and I, I I didn't mention this. I use a lot of questionnaires, well, not a lot, about six questionnaires that I 
pull from to really narrow our focus. I was say, you know, we're going to go from this wide space to a narrower space with respect to the history. We'll do some physical examinations to to further narrow focus. We'll use questionnaires to further narrow focus. And then we're really just looking at those labs that are indicated, accurate, and actually going to guide treatment. Um, And to help refine that focus, I I utilize um, a form of of in-office testing called applied kinesiology and autonomic response testing, sometimes more broadly termed muscle testing. There's a a fairly strong dichotomy with the view of this. It's on the one hand going to be viewed as quackery because it really doesn't fit into any kind of conventional medical paradigm. There's there's not kind of the, the rigor around standardization and that kind of thing. And I appreciate that. And my my scientific mind has always grappled with what the heck is this really? But when I've opened up to it, it's allowed me in the past, you know, five plus years that I've used it in practice to help identify with this person, despite what we're seeing on paper with respect to what I've tracked history-wise or within their intake, where is their body really struggling physiologically? Does this have to do with detox defects or mitochondrial issues or metabolic issues or X, Y, and Z? despite what we're seeing on paper. And it's really amazing. You know, the body has this wisdom. And if we're able to engage in a practice that allows us to communicate with the body and extrapolate this info, that's when we're able to really identify those barriers, support the body's innate ability to heal. And so just to, to again, add more context, I'm really utilizing those in-office we'll call it muscle testing assessments to be able to narrow focus by way of where is this person's body not functioning as well as it could. And with respect to treatments, there are ways to assess what treatment strategies might might be most compatible for that individual versus, you know, Joe or Jane or whoever else is coming in with quote, with similar presentation. Um, but yeah, then as, as far as moving into kind of the treatment side of things, you're right, it can really vary. And that's why I think there's, it's lifelong, long learning. It's the same for you. It's the same for any physician or a practitioner. Um, but in the world of this kind of um, complex chronic illness management, we really have to have this huge toolkit. I would say that there are a few core areas that every individual would, would likely benefit from or that we would explore together. And kind of the foundational strategy is centered around nutritional balance, right? So making sure basic factors like their iron status and their vitamin B12 and vitamin D status are, are you know, optimized, things that we can check with standard labs. And so often individuals are not, um, there's a difference between sufficient and optimal. And so often, you know, individuals that really require that full optimization aren't, aren't there. Um, so we're working on, on utilizing nutrient therapy to facilitate some, some, balance with respect to their nutrients. We're looking at their hormone balance with respect to things like thyroid and insulin management and and cortisol regulation and where can we support that. Granted, that might be off because of underlying disease processes, but let's still try and get things balanced so that people are feeling better. We have a bit more wind at our back. And then there are some other key features that we'll often look at um, with respect to stress regulation. And so there may be nutrients that we use. Everyone in my practice usually leaves with some magnesium in their hand because everyone can benefit from it. We don't get it in our diet as much as we can, and it just has so many therapeutic applications. But you know, magnesium and cognitive agents like theanine or GABA, they're only going to do so much. We need to get into the trenches and do the stress regulatory work. So I'll often do um, 
a heart rate variability assessment in my office with the patient on the first day. And this is an opportunity to use a non-invasive, very short, brief investigation into how does your body respond to stress? Everyone will have room for improvement, but where are you right now? And then we can use a biofeedback technique, which is really just assessing your heart rate variability, which is, again, a marker a marker of many things, but a marker of your body's stress regulation. And you're able to use a, a feedback technique that allows you to appreciate where your body is right now and use things like visualization, breathing, gratitude practice to help support regulation within that system. So now we're moving into more of that mind-body space, right? We've got some of the biochemical underpinning in place. We've got some of the mind-body support in place. And then more often than not, I'll refer to a manual care provider, a physical therapist of some capacity to support that structural element. And that will depend whether it's a chiropractor or osteopath and, or, or a physio or a massage therapist. It will depend on the nature of the complaint, how acute, how chronic, uh, who might be the right fit. But there we're trying to support, you know, neurological tone, health integrity from more of a manual or physical perspective. And so, you know, it's, it can really, from there, it can it can build. I can speak a little bit to it, but there are going to be just some foundational tenants, kind of nutritional, hormonal support, um, uh, the mind-body piece, and then structural integrity. Mm-hmm. And maybe just to touch on, because you brought these up, but some of the areas where we will get into the trenches is if someone is demonstrating a chemical toxic and burden, you know, before we start going gung-ho and trying to rid the body of these things, we need to support those internal mechanisms detox you know support detox capacity in such a way that someone can tolerate removing mold from their body or removing heavy metals from their body in a way that doesn't overwhelm their system if we find you know uh, uh, the smoking guns that that indicate there's some kind of chronic infection how do we support the immune system's regulation in such a way that we're not going to shake the cage and really get someone feeling unwell um, when we're doing these practices so there's going to be a lot of specific treatments that will start to to come together but um again just built on that same core can you give me an, an example of something that is going to support um detoxification this is something that's a, it's a term so unfamiliar yeah the conventional medical approach and there's a valid criticism when it comes to kind of the uh, more allopathic view of, of naturopathic med when we say detox because the body has innate detox capacities. Our liver filters toxicants. Our, our, our kidney will help filter and eliminate. Our, our intestinal tract will help eliminate. Um, so when we say detox, you know, it's not a juice cleanse. It's not a, um, you know, popping a supplement and that's it. It's really looking at where someone might have weak points or susceptibilities and appreciating that various toxicants do impair our body's innate detox capacity. So even though we come into this world with a really robust ability to manage the chemical and, and environmental toxicants we're exposed to. Um, the bottom line is over time, especially in a genetic susceptible in a case of genetic susceptibility, those systems can get overwhelmed. And so when we're looking at the, the two phases of liver detoxification, what we're thinking about are supporting the nutrient status that that facilitates kind of there are various phases that the liver moves through 
to, to prompt detoxification. And that's what we're trying to do. So whether it's B vitamin support, amino acids go a long way and antioxidants, things like um, curcumin, which many people may have heard of, or, or, or milk thistle. These are agents that help to protect the liver when it comes to the inflammation that can be present through, infl- uh, through detoxification. And so there are different formulations, either kind of B vitamin heavy or amino acid heavy that we'll use to help keep things moving through that liver detoxification process. Um, One of the biggest things, though, is if someone's constipated, right? And people view constipation very differently. I I like to have patients having a daily bowel movement. Two to three is great as long as it's not associated with digestive complaints. I have colleagues that are okay if patients are having one bowel movement a week, and we don't see eye to eye on that. Um, And so if if someone were to, you know, not be eliminating waste sufficiently, we're going to see recirculation of those waste products back into the body from the intestines. And that's going to, again, overwhelm, challenge detoxification. So there are ways that we would try to reduce burden. We would try to reduce someone's exposures in the home. We try to keep the bowels moving. And then there may be a time and a place to actually go in and support the body's innate ability to do what it you know knows to do, but give it some crutches. So yeah, it's, it's, again, I know it's a bit vague. It really, I think for me, it's, it's so case dependent that I don't try to get too far down the rabbit hole, but those are some of the features we might think about. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Are you talking about enemas um, when you're, mm-hmm. when you're, when you're discussing uh, constipation management or laxatives or prunes or, um, or yes. yeah. <laughs> following the therapeutic order, right? So often, and, and I think this is universal within, within medicine, but we're thinking about, you know, least invasive, gentlest, most effective strategy, and then moving up the order towards more invasive, higher risk profile. So, you know, we'll often start with, are you moving? Are you hydrated? Are you getting enough fiber? Like I said, most patients will leave my practice with magnesium and magnesium, depending on the form, can have a laxative effect. And so I might decide for a a more poorly absorbed form of magnesium to facilitate some of that movement through the bowel versus one that's going to have more of a systemic whole body effect. Um, And then it may get to the point where, you know, patients are recommended to consider enemas or, or colon hydrotherapy. It's not something I jump to. I tend to be a little bit more conservative in my approach to start, but yeah. Uh, really just making sure those foundational pieces are there, that that might be how we, you know, work to support detox is just making sure the body's not being hammered every day. So now it can start to function in balance. Well, it really goes back to what you were saying before, which is actually just allowing the body, restoring the body's ability to maintain health. And, um, And so trying to identify where it's being held up um, and then sort of focusing in on that is a strategy that, yeah, we we were never taught, but I'm becoming increasingly aware of as I talk to more people within this space. So I'm really, I'm really fascinated by that. And if I can maybe circle back to an example, there's a case that I had more, more recently, it was a, uh, I think she was a, a female late 60s that came in with a really odd neurological presentation where we'd, she would get this five to 30 times per day, relatively short-lived, anywhere from three to five-minute neurological episode where she would, this prodrome, she would first get this sense of despair, like this in, in sense of doom and despair. It would then be followed with an ascending 
um, numbness and tingling from her feet up towards her, her torso and into her hands. And then she would get this vice-like pressure around her thorax. And I mean, on at surface level, you're like, well, what the heck is this? Um, you know, she was on standard nerve support medications like gabapentin, pregabalin, things like that. She was on a handful of anti-anxiety medications. You know, people were trying to explore people. Her care team was trying to explore what was the relationship to a panic disorder, that kind of thing. Um, you know, nothing. Thankfully, the, the, the nerve support, the gabapentin did help reduce the intensity of symptoms, but she still had these flares. And she landed at my clinic you know, not sure. I'm the end of the road doc. That's what often most of my, my referrals are from colleagues. And they say, go see Liam. He's the end of the road doc. Um, she didn't know what to expect. She was fairly healthy skepticism, uh, but but nonetheless challenged me, which was good. She became quite educated through the process. Long and the short of it is it looked like there was a mold issue, both by way of her report, some in-office testing, as well as mycotoxin urine testing, which you kind of touched on. We found a host of chemical toxicants, didn't find any heavy metals, um, and then found some uh, infectious agents as well, vector-borne illnesses as well as mono. And she had a really nasty bout of what sounds like mono in the 90s. Things were off from there, but there was a point later in time where everything just shifted. And so, you know, through that history taking process, try to appreciate what kind of genetic susceptibilities might be there. There were no major flags from family history or early, you know, anything earlier and earlier in her life. Um, She did have low uh, GGT, which when elevated is concerning around, you know, liver uh, damage and, and alcoholism. But when it's low, it can be a marker of impaired antioxidant capacity. And so that was really the only smoking gun. And that took us down one path. Um, we started with, quote unquote, detoxifying. So we worked by supporting the B vitamin status. We supported her her, her, her amino acid intake via healthy protein as well as amino acid supplements. And with that, she over the course of about eight weeks between our first and second visit, she had about a 25% reduction in symptoms. And that was nothing except trying to reduce her exposures at home and support her body's innate ability to heal. I have colleagues that might argue that's within the realm of placebo. And she just, you know, was, was uh, refreshed because here's someone's validating and there was da da da. But you know what, at the end of the day, I don't really care what it was It she got that improvement. Over the course of the last six or eight months, she's had about a 75% improvement. And what we've been doing from that subsequent visit where she had that 25% improvement till now is really just working on clearing out these these residual chronic infections. And on the one hand, we can appreciate that the infectious agent might still be present. On the other hand, it's really just supporting the immune system in such a way that we can start to see things um, better managed. And so this came in the form of antimicrobial herbs and nutrients, things like wormwood and, and, and black walnuts and berberine and garlic and oregano and clove, but in therapeutic and targeted um, uh, uh, intervention. And then from the immune side, we'll use things like medicinal mushrooms, reishi and, and um, uh, maitake, shiitake, shaga, as well as herbs like astragalus to boost Boost is not the right word. Modulate the immune system, right? Just give it a chance to get back to where it could be so that it can regulate itself more effectively. And I was I was so thrilled to hear, you know, 75% improvement in a relatively short time frame because she's been dealing with this for years. And we're not there yet. And life will happen and things will get, you know, thrown off center. But 
you know, here we're just able to identify those barriers to healing to the best of our ability, or at least preliminarily identify and remove them and prop the body up as best we can. And, you know, her, her anxiety is down. She's sleeping better. The brain fog cognitive piece is improving. The pain is, is improving. Um, less post-exertional malaise. She had to nap every day. She's not napping every day anymore. And not every case plays out this way. This is great. There are cases where it takes us a lot longer. We have to do a lot more work. There are a lot more setbacks. But, you know, it's really encouraging to see these kinds of cases where we can just get things rolling and see these kinds of outcomes. Mm. I mean, so much. Uh, um mm. And I say that because, well, you almost said it yourself, like you're the end of the road doctor. There is often no other people equipped to get any further improvement with someone's symptoms. And the only tool in a doctor's toolbox often is increasing the dose of neuropathic nerve agents, for which there's a a ceiling um, and a whole host of side effects. Right. And so which which limit uh, the capacity to being able to use them. And I have to just premise, I'm not a specialist in CFS. So if there are, or fibromyalgia, so if there are um, up-to-date, very um, up-to-date treatments on this, I do apologize. Although having said that, I have read the recent nice (laughs) guidelines very recently. And Mm -hmm. actually, apart from graded exercise therapy, there really is very limited intervention that the conventional approach actually recommends. And so really you know, to be able to offer someone something and a a group of measures that is is supporting them and able to get them 75% better than they were before um, is a real feat. And what I also heard from what you said is that your medical, the medical doctor referred the patient to you. So when their treatments no longer uh, worked, they had a pathway to refer them to you, which I believe is really what should be happening, you know. And Liam, you know, I know that you have and had a very personal um, motivation to study naturopathic medicine because a very close relative, I'll I'll pass on to you to actually give the the specifics here, um, yeah, were not helped by conventional medicine and had nowhere to go can you go into that a little bit and share that story with us yeah when i finished my undergraduate studies um i did a bachelor of bachelor of science in kinesiology and like most kin grads i was gung-ho on physiotherapy and that was kind of the plan but my mother fell ill with really unusual neurological presentation she was having difficulty articulating words she was was choking just again with kind of impairment of of mobility of her tongue she couldn't hold her head up muscle wasting uh vomiting coffee ground like it was just not not a great situation right and so we were going through the conventional medical investigation as you know as was appropriate um she was seeing three neurologists at the time was misdiagnosed actually with myasthenia gravis at one point did horribly with mestinin um finally to realize that that was not the right drug for her because that was not the disease she was dealing with. And yeah, and I wouldn't say it, it, and it's not so much that she didn't 
receive help. It took a long time to get a diagnosis of orolingual dystonia, um, which we actually received overseas. And it's not a knock to the local system. It's just we needed to, to escalate. And, and we were able to do that in a more timely fashion by, by receiving care overseas. Um, so we she received an appropriate diagnosis, was stabilized on meds. But now that's it, right? Like that's 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 kind of the end of the road. You're you're on the right meds. We've achieved the appropriate diagnosis. This is a neurodegenerative condition. Let's just kind of watch and wait at this point. And that wasn't sufficient. Um, you know, my mother's symptoms were not fully managed. Her quality of life was not restored completely. She would still have these weird attacks or episodes, as we would call them. And uh, I've, we've through her, I've always been open to the world of of energetic medicine. Um, uh, um, and just, we'll say holistic care. Right. And so, you know, she was always just exploring different things. Her friends put her, a friend put her in touch with an energetic healer, we'll call it. And I can't tell you, it was crazy within that one session, there was this spontaneous remission and we can try to dissect what happened in that moment. You know, there was a, the session itself was centered around almost like a somatic experiencing where you're going back, you're trying to use the body as a vehicle, sensations within the body as a vehicle to appreciate past traumas. Um, but within the context of that energetic session, you know, there were discussions about past lives and all of these different things that didn't scare me off, but weren't familiar to me per se. Um, and it was just amazing to, to witness, you know, in that moment, my mom reported feeling an electric current run up the tail of her spine to her head or vice versa. And that was it. She came up upright, articulate. We went back to the neurologist and he was one of the lead specialists with respect to uh, Parkinsonism and, and anything under the umbrella of Parkinson's. And he says, whatever voodoo it is, just it's good. You're done. You're clear. You're discharged. Come back if you need me. Right. And that was kind of the end of it. And so it really opened my eyes to how there could be this hybrid approach, right? It wasn't to say conventional medicine didn't serve us. It was challenging. And, you know, I appreciate that without that that challenge, it may not have prompted me to be motivated to get into this. So there was, you know, we can find purpose in it. Um, but it was amazing just to see how this all came together. And then, you know, it was actually recommended that she take high dose thiamine and high dose vitamin D1. And that made a difference, you know, through this whole process. And so there was this energetic piece, there was this nutraceutical element, there was obviously the drug therapy component. But that was really encouraging. And I said, Okay, well, I'm going to consider a path in, in medicine, allopathic conventional med at that point, I didn't even know what naturopathic medicine was. A friend of mine, thank God said, No, not medicine, you need to look into naturopathic medicine. <laughs> the uh, applications were due the next week. So I'm learning about naturopathic med as I'm writing the application in and getting my essays and everything collated for that. I'm like, yeah, this is it. And it was just wind at my back. But um, yeah, it was it was really appreciating that there is a gap, right? No one would ever come to see me for an urgent or emergent matter. They need, we need emergency, you know, care settings and, and urgent care settings. And that's where amazing, life-saving, heroic medicine can do. I mean, it saves lives every day. It's, it's incredible. Um, and that's not the work I could do. Right. But on the flip side, when we're dealing with these chronic degenerative conditions and certainly these complex chronic illnesses, there is a gap. Right. And, and that's really what what fostered this interest in, in going down this path. And it then brought me to additional training within my clinical internship with respect to CFS, ME, fibromyalgia, multiple chemical sensitivity that taught me to be a detective. And 
I decided to stick with it because it's just a tremendously underserved population, right? And so it's just great to see how that kind of hybrid approach going from as far one side to the, as far on the other with respect to a healing spectrum can serve people. So I saw it all within that experience with my mom. Mm. Oh, yeah. that's been truly holistic. Mm-hmm. Um, and you have to have an open mind, you know, you have yeah. to have an open mind. And there's a mystery, you know, there's a, you know, medicine of any type is, is full of mystery um and you know this is where experience and nuance and um i think really developing a relationship with your with your patient can so yeah. serve, serve you both um really uh you know who would be open to a little bit of voodoo and i'm using that term really <laughs> yeah. respectfully and i, I call it i call it woo woo in my practice are you ready for the woo yeah <laughs> Yeah, yeah, and and some people really are, and some people really aren't. Yeah. Um, but um, yeah, I often think I just you know often surmise you know this is a this is a a a problem of energy you know this is a yeah. energetic. Um, people are really low in their in their energy, and like how you know I always wonder about the place of energetics mm-hmm. and 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 energy healing within that and whether it can help um some people um just by its very nature um uh with it with it being um with it expressing itself as mm-hmm. as a low energy state um mm-hmm. so yeah it sounds like you've definitely your mom's definitely had a really profound and powerful experience do you what do you suggest within that realm for your patients and do you send them to a different um practitioner do you do it yourself i remember in the intro you talked about reiki mm-hmm. are there other energetic kind of more woo woo therapies that mm-hmm. you found to be particularly um helpful or is it really just extremely individual and you can't really make generalizations I would say it's it's often going to be individual, and that's where I utilize my training and experience with the world of energetics to kind of ex- explore what might be most fitting for that person sitting in front of me. And so there's somewhat of an energetic exchange just while we're working together to, to suss that out. But I would say on the more naturopathic front, patients will often leave my practice with some form of homeopathic support. And that's, again, another kind of contentious area of of medicine. I'm not even going to put it in air quotes because I see it as medicine, but I know others don't always. Um, but you know, that's really working on harmonizing energy balance within the body. And so I find, you know, it really has worked to expedite progress. So often I'll utilize homeopathic, uh, complex homeopathy in my practice, um, or utilize acupuncture and or refer to a homeopath or an acupuncturist. And so there we're able to to utilize what we would consider vitality supporting or energy supporting or balancing practices. So I'll often refer or utilize that in practice. And then if we're shifting away from what's under the kind of naturopathic umbrella into more of the world of good woo, um, yeah, there are so many different practices. I think Reiki is such a good starting point for people because it's so gentle. It's actually, you know, supported by many medical centers as a therapeutic agent, right? Um, 
some they sometimes call it laying of hands or something else, but Reiki is basically just the transfer of universal healing energy to the participants. Um, and it, it's just very gentle, supportive, nutritive, balancing. So I often like that as a as a initial touch point for someone who's not too familiar but open. And then other than that, we can really get into some cool things. There's a practitioner in in Alberta that I refer to a lot. She does a form of magnetic-based um, clearing, so uses her body as a proxy and uses a mag- magnet to do clearings, and there are pendulums involved and really neat things that, that again, most people would look at and be eyes would be, be crossing over or rolling back, depending on where, where you're coming from. Um, there are practices where you're able to engage with a practitioner that is connecting with your higher self. And in that interaction is able to kind of communicate messages to you from that part of your being that has a vantage point that can appreciate more than we can, given where we are in the trenches kind of thing. So, you know, there are opportunities for it to be very passive, like Reiki, where you're just letting it do its thing or homeopathy acupuncture. Um, There are opportunities for it to be a little bit more active or engaged, like these pendulum-based or magnet-based clearings or these, these, um, uh, I don't even know the term. I call it integral healing. That was the the modality that my mother received, and I actually did four years of training in that because I was so blown away by what it did for my mom. And um, that's not a universal practice, but that essentially is one where you're you're kind of having that that higher self communication. And so there's just so many, and there's a million and one other different forms of of this kind of um, support. And I, I think. Um, when the, the teacher appears when the student's ready kind of thing. So I always trust that, you know, people will come to, to, to be exposed to what will serve them when they're ready for it. And if I can help facilitate that, then I do with my patients, but it's so, there's so many different ways, but long and the short of it for anyone that, that doesn't have exposure to this and is open Reiki would be an awesome starting point. Mm, mm, yeah. 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 <laughs> and there's so much to be said, I think from from really feeling deeply cared for in a session yeah. such as Reiki. And I'm not to say that, that Reiki is just um, relying on placebo, but even yeah. just, um, totally. even, even just that in itself and utilizing the placebo and um, that it will occur when you have a patient being um, gently cared for um in uh in a session like reiki i think you can't undersell that and um and and really not to use that in someone who's open to it would be a real shame because there is we've all we've all um experienced maybe um, a pamper day you know uh (laughs) or you know where, where we have um a massage or we have um um hot stones or whatever whatever we, we choose to have but there's something so deeply nurturing um in a session like that um even if we're not even if we're not unwell um let alone like feeling unwell and feeling dismissed and you know having um you know these irretractable symptoms just to be sort of have a have a have a space um, where the tone of the space has been considered, the tone of the practitioner has been considered, um, and the sort of um, focus on um, the therapy in that time is fully um, on on you and the energetic exchange, which is going on all the time between everyone that we're interacting with, 
um, be so intentional. Um, I I can't really see a downside a, a downside right. to that. Um, and there may be more to it than that that I that I that I don't know about, and that probably nobody really knows about because these yeah. are, <laughs> are within the mysterious space and. Um, just as so much of 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 life and medicine um, right. remains. <laughs> so, well, we've covered so much. Um, yeah. We've covered so much, and it's really just actually broadened my mind as to the scope of a naturopathic doctor. You have been trained in so many different healing modalities, more <laughs> so than I had actually um, anticipated, and it's just. Um, really encouraging heartwarming inspiring um to hear a more joined up system over there and i really hope that we can um bring that more um to to the uk so that our patients get the chance to be guided um by a naturopathic doctor um to all of these different healing modalities that may or may not benefit them um right. especially when there's certainly no drug or pharmaceutical support that does so um yeah really thank you for going through all of that so eloquently with me today oh it's my pleasure it was great to discuss this um if i can maybe leave your at least the the listeners that are not healthcare providers with kind of one area that i think would serve everyone um you know the one thing i know with universally, because I've said so many times, it depends. Well, it's case by case. But the one constant is, you know, how are we supporting our stress systems regulation? And that's really going to be the the cornerstone to the whole healing potential in any interaction I have with a patient, right? And whether it's having gone through traumatic experiences or not, so much of this is subconscious. So consciously, they'll on the intake form, you know, stress and da, 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 no, it's okay. It's all right. It's fine. But really, is it right? And and I just encourage everyone to explore whatever means they feel serves them or jives with them when it comes to supporting their stress system regulation. Um, I used the term biofeedback. That's one of the mechanisms we can consider. Um, there are other forms. And what I mean by this is, you know, talk therapy is great and it can serve a ton of people and things like cognitive behavioral therapy and all of those kinds of things you know, can be monumentally helpful, but we're really looking at repatterning the stuckness within the nervous system. And so whether it's biofeedback, somatic experiencing, there are other practices like EMDR, that's the rapid eye movement uh, system. There's DNRS, dynamic neural retraining system, the Gupta program. I can, you know, provide uh, resources to these that you can share with your, your, your listeners but engaging in something that's actually going to work to repattern the nervous system. Tapping would be another, and that's certainly the most cost-effective. I'm really curious to see where we where we evolve into the world of psychedelics, because I think that's going to be a potentially a huge shifter of this state within the, or have the potential to shift that state in a, in a really meaningful way. But until we get there with more, you know, uh, universal application of it in a safe setting, um, yeah, just that's the one thing I would really encourage because no matter what we do with supplements or what we do with X, Y, and Z, or, or even some of this energetic stuff, you know, we still need to do that work for ourselves 
because life is not easy. We've all been through our stuff and it leaves scars. It completely influences how we interact with the world. And that's driving some of this immune dysregulation and nervous system centralization and hormone dysregulation and X, Y, Z. So um, again, I just wanted to make sure I didn't leave that out because it's so crucial. And I feel like there are so many resources available for, for patients who are struggling. Thank you so much for mentioning that. I mean, I think the statistic is something like 75% of all primary care visits in the UK are due to stress. So, and, you know, so many disease processes are hugely impacted um, by by stress. Um, And so this is such a key um, element that we can take some personal responsibility for and other things that may be more familiar to my listeners yoga qigong breath work yes. all other um modalities which you may wish to try um in order to get in touch with or right. start to detoxify your body with right you know these are all ways that you can that you can do that so yeah thank you so much for mentioning that that's that's such a key takeaway um you're welcome yeah that's that's really great thank you so much for your time and also Liam what are you working on right now and where can my listeners find you I think you can only practice am I right within the state of Ontario am am I am I that's correct yeah the patients would have to have two feet in Ontario so both of us would need to be Ontario for me to to um, provide direct care, but I have no issue with with individuals reaching out. I'm happy to connect you with someone who might be able to work with you closer to home or would have the scope jurisdiction to be able to to work remotely. There's a lot of great. Well, there's not a ton of docs that work in this space. It's growing, but there are individuals that I can certainly work to connect um, prospective patients with if if I can't work with them myself. Um, and yeah, my website would be the easiest way to get in touch with me or Facebook or Instagram. As you know, via Instagram, I'm a bit slower, but email is always great. Um, and as far as, yeah, I'm not currently not working on anything. Life has been happening. And so we're finally, my family are getting into a point where our head is above water. And, and I look forward to being able to now expand things with respect to to the work side of things as well. And I, I intend on getting a stress regulation support protocol, a mindfulness-based program up and running. And so I'll keep you abreast of that. But for now, there are amazing programs and and self-care strategies that we've kind of touched on. Um, But that will be in the the works coming up for myself and for my patients. (laughs) Yeah. Well, what did you say? The the student appears, no, the the Or the teacher appears when the student's ready. And sometimes student hasn't been ready yet. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. Well, thank you so much for all the work that you do. Thank you for the wisdom that you shared with us. And I will make sure to put all of your contact details um in the show notes for anyone who does wish to to get in touch and maybe um can be signposted on from yourself. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you so much for your wisdom. Thank you so much for all your hard work in this space. You're welcome and thank you for everything you're doing here. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening, Body, Mind, Soul Seekers. If you want to connect with trusted alternative therapists, learn more about what they do and how they can help you, check out my new holistic healthcare platform, The Witchy Women. Or if you are a holistic healer that wants to serve and help more people, book in a discovery call with me. Find more details at thewitchywomen.com. To show your support for this podcast, 
please share it with a friend or leave a review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. It really does make a difference. Thank you all so much. Until next time.